All right. Well, good morning. We're so glad you guys are here with us. Uh, it is Fourth of July week, which historically is outside of Christmas, the busiest travel week in the United States. And we realize you guys have a million things you could be doing, but you're here with us. Or you're watching online. And so we're so glad you guys are here with us. Uh, if you're new, make sure to stop by the welcome uh, stand. We have a free gift for you just for coming today. Also today, after the services, you'll see out in the lobby, uh, we got some hot dogs and smoked sausages and chips and drinks and all that. That's a fundraiser for our use of some of those trips. It's donations only, but feel free to grab some of that stuff on your way out. If you don't grab some of that stuff on your way out, we're going to have a hot dog eating contest at the second service, and we're going to see who can do their best Joey Chestnut. And so uh, make sure and grab that on your way out. Uh, Thursdays, Thursday services, if you haven't been, we have Thursday services now. I love Thursday services. It's a great crowd, and especially with people with weekend plans and travel plans. Make sure if you have some travel plans that you come. Unfortunately, this week we will not have a Thursday service. We're giving our staff and volunteers kind of a week off for the holiday week, but we'll resume those the next week. So this week, July 6th, there will not be a Thursday service, and we'll resume services next Sunday. And so it is, like we said, 4th of July weekend. Uh, 4th of July is my favorite holiday. Uh, I love it. I love everything about it. I love the cookouts. I love the fireworks. I love it uh, so much. I love our country. I love the freedoms that we have. Uh, I'm so grateful for everything that we've been handed here um, and the freedoms that we get to have as citizens of this country. And um, so we're going to continue our Pilled series, but we're going to get there kind of in an interesting way. Um, and so a little known fact about me, some of you guys may or may not know this, uh, and just a little warning, uh, the first probably like 15 minutes of today is going to be a history lesson. And sometimes you guys love those. Some of you guys are like, please stop it. Uh, but it's a little bit of history lesson. Uh, if you don't know this, um, I was looking at actually becoming an American history professor uh, before I went into ministry. Uh, and so I got a calling to go into ministry. The other thing about American history professors is most of those guys like teach into their 80s, so it's hard to get jobs. And so, uh, so anyway, I fell in love with American history very early on. My dad, when we were kids, uh, we would go on beach trips. Now, what we were really doing was going to see forts. Uh, because most of the major American forts are near beach cities or near the coast. And so we would go on beach trips and like we'd spend like a day at the beach and the rest of the time we'd be touring forts and battlefields. And so by the time I was 18 years old, I had been to every major American fort uh, from the Civil or American Revolution as well as most of the battlefields. And so it was kind of ingrained in me, uh, our histories, uh, our country's history. And so uh, we're going to kind of do a history lesson to kind of where we got to where we are. And so we're going to talk about a couple documents. These are pretty important documents in our country's history. Uh, the most famous one is probably the Declaration of Independence. Um, and so that's this really important document document. The other one that we're familiar with is the Constitution of the United States. And then there's another document called the Bill of Rights. Now, the Bill of Rights is actually not a separate document. It's a part of the Constitution. It's these amendments that they give us at the very beginning of the Constitution. And the Bill of Rights was this, this kind of interesting idea. Um, and what's interesting about these is these are the rights, and we'll quote these. And, and the reality is that most of us in this room, and I'm not judging you, we really only know like two or three of them. And there's a couple of them that we focus on, uh, but all 10 of them were very important for the people when they wrote these. And these rights are, are really important because we often take these things for granted. And we don't think about how important these were and the reason that they wrote these into the Constitution. And you hear people quote them. 
a lot. Oftentimes, they misquote them. Um, but these are the rights that you have as American citizens, and you should be familiar with these things. And so let's do a quick recap, and we're going to use kind of modern language, because if you read it in the way it was written in the Constitution, it can be a little confusing. And so let's go over a couple of them. And so the one that we're, the two that we're most familiar with, and you hear people talk about the most, uh, the first one is the First Amendment. And the First Amendment, it was really important. Uh, it was a time in which we were given the freedom uh, of speech, and we all love that one, uh, freedom of speech. That's why I can get up here every week and say whatever I want, and then you can say whatever you want back. And the thing about freedom of speech is it doesn't matter if you know anything about what you're saying or not, you have the right to say it, right? And we live in a world where a lot of people say things that they actually don't know anything about. Isn't it great to be an American, right? You can just say whatever you want, whether it's true or not, okay? And so we have the freedom of speech. Uh, we have the freedom of press. We have the freedom of assembly, which means that we can get together here and congregate together. Uh, I don't have to get government permission for us to gather together as a church or for you to have a gathering or an assembly. And so that was really an important amendment, especially to those men um, and women as they kind of were thinking about the future of our country. The Second Amendment, you guys are very familiar with, especially here in Bullock County. Uh, it's the freedom to bear arms uh, and militia, all right? And so if you read it, it's actually about militia and then also the right to, to own guns. And so that's a big deal to us. It's interesting, like, the way it's written. It's bear arms, and so it looks like bear, like, a, anyway. All right, so we have that. Uh, we have the right to due process, uh, which means that if you're ever in a criminal case, you have the right to due process. You have a right to a jury by your peers. Um, we're free from search and seizure. Uh, we're free from cruel and unusual punishment, which is really important, but doesn't totally make sense because we still have to be exposed to the Kardashians. Um, and apparently now the Duggars. And who would have thought that between those two families... The Kardashians were less controversial than the Duggars. Um, if you don't know about that, you should watch Shiny Happy People. Uh, you can't be tortured, uh, which is a big deal because not every uh, person in countries uh, have that right, but that is a right that you have as a U.S. citizen. And then there's an interesting one that's going to kind of launch where we're going today. Uh, we are free from having to quarter soldiers. You've never thought about that before, have you? But what's interesting about that specific amendment is that was a really big deal. So one of the things that was happening to the colonists was as the British soldiers would come over, they had the right, before this amendment, they had to write that if a soldier went to your house, you had to quarter them. You had to feed them. You had to take care of them. And in some ways, they were abusing the system. Many people say that quartering soldiers was actually the straw that broke the camel's back that led to the American Revolution. Now, none of us have ever thought about that before, and there's other amendments that we, for sake of time we're not going to get to, but it made me think about that, that if, if we were today going to write the, the Bill of Rights, which is the rights that we have as U.S. citizens, um, we would say some things a little bit differently, um, and some of these are things that we now take advantage of, like we've never thought about something like that. And so we might use some different language. Now, the guys that wrote the Bill of Rights and wrote our Constitution were so smart. Because in that, they actually wrote what we refer to as the Ninth Amendment. Now, you may have never really studied the Ninth Amendment, but it's actually a really important amendment. And in the Ninth Amendment, they, they basically come up with this idea, and, and it's kind of referred to today as the catch-all amendment. And in this Ninth Amendment, it's this idea that um, they realize that when they're writing these amendments in 17, you know, 1700, 1776, 1779, that they realized that the reality is they weren't thinking about everything that we're eventually going to experience. 
And their belief was that, that the United States was this great experiment and that there would be time for it to evolve and change. And so they write in the Ninth Amendment, and the Ninth Amendment says this. And again, it's funny language to us. It says this. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So here's what that means kind of in modern language. Their understanding was that there's going to be other rights that we as citizens are going to have that they haven't thought about. And so it says that we shall not be construed or denied, disparage others retained by the people, which means there's other rights that are going to come into mind later on that, that we, this document, should not withhold from people that they're going to get. And so some people call it the catch-all amendment, which means that there's going to be other rights that we're going to have. They're going to pop up. And, and so this Ninth Amendment opens the door for the fact that we can have those rights. Now, some would say that the way this might look in modern language is the Ninth Amendment might say something like this, that we have the right to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, because we're Americans and we're free. And so our belief is, as an American, we have the right to do whatever we want. We live in a free country. And so we have this idea that we should be able to, to do these things. Now, we've talked about this before, but what's interesting about rights that we often don't consider is that if you give someone rights, but you don't couple those rights with responsibility, then things can go terribly wrong. And the way to explain this to you is as parents, right? We understand this. We give our children rights to do things, but if it's not coupled with responsibility, things can go terribly wrong, can't they? And so we understand this. So the idea was that if you give people rights, that you're going to harness those also to a certain idea of responsibility, okay? And so the authors of the Constitution, our founding fathers who also go on to write the Declaration of Independence actually came before that and all that. Um, what's interesting is if you study this, and I know most of you haven't, they wrote a whole lot of other stuff that we don't talk about. And there's all these documents and all of these letters that they would write to each other. There's some famous documents of them writing letters to each other. Uh, John Adams, who I'm going to quote some today, ha has a whole book that you can read of letters that he wrote his wife and that he wrote to his son, John Quincy Adams, who eventually comes on to become president. There's some letters that him and Thomas Jefferson shared back and forth. And so there's all these documents that you have access to if you have a library card or if you have the, the Googler uh, that you can look up and kind of read some of these things. And they wrote so much stuff. Now, the founders of the Bill of Rights believed, and you have to understand this, and this is kind of, like, kind of littered throughout all of the other documents we have of theirs, they believed that there would be moral guardrails in our country that would, that would provide the piece of responsibility to go with the rights. So, so you understand that. Their belief was that there was this moral kind of guardrail within our country that would be the responsibility that would then put those rights into effect. They assumed that there was these moral ethical guardrails that everybody understood. And, and so part of this is understanding that, and you need to understand this, not all of our forefathers were Christians. You've been told that. That's not actually true. But most of them believed in some type of greater good or higher power or this kind of lofty idea that America could become that was kind of guarded by this moral and ethical guardrail. Part of that also is they just come out of the Revolutionary War, which means they were no longer held accountable to the English or the French, they were Americans. And they'd come through this time in which they stood up and fought for each other, that each U.S. citizen was fighting not only for themselves, but also for the benefit of their neighbor. And so they had freedom for the first time. 
And so there's this kind of like kind of consciousness within the country. So the first of all that we have to understand is that these forefathers that give us these rights, that write these documents that have kind of guided our country, the first thing that they believed in the guiding principles of this country was that there was a consensus of consciousness, which means this, that generally people believed the same things were right and the same things were wrong. And there was kind of this consciousness that kind of guided them between what was right and what was wrong. So that's the first thing they kind of operated under. The second one was there was a consensus about divine accountability for the United States. These men believed, and women, that there was a debt of gratitude that was owed to God or this higher power or this greater good, that mainly to this idea of God, that there was a sense of personal and national accountability to God. That they were to be grateful. In fact, some would even say, and it's in the documents, that, that the United States was divinely inspired by God himself. And then thirdly, and this is a little bit more complicated, but you can see again this kind of writing through their, their writing of letters to each other and other documents, that there was a sense of individual expression was governed by the concern not only for the individual, but all of the individuals around them. Which means this, that when it came to their rights... They understood that they had the rights to these things, but those rights were not to impede on someone else's rights, okay? And so they kind of had this kind of consciousness of understanding that whenever that, that your rights impact somebody else, that there was an issue that we needed to be resolved. And so this is my right, and, it, and this is how we have to understand that it concerns the other people. Now, that is not a sense that we have now. The sense that we have now is this is my right and it doesn't matter how it impacts anybody else's rights. This is my right to do this. It doesn't matter how it impacts my community or my school or my neighbors or the people I work with. This is my right. And so you have to understand that we've kind of gone a little bit differently than what they originally understood when they create these documents and give us these rights. Now, there's some other examples of this to kind of talk about this, and and we're going to look at one of these documents, and then we're going to see how many of you guys paid attention in in history class. And and so uh, there's this famous document that's out there, and it starts with this preamble, and this is what the preamble says. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, it should come up on the screen, that all men are created equal, and women, they just didn't use that language, sorry ladies, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. All right? It's a pretty important statement there too, by the way. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. Now, part of this language is is the understanding that the government belongs to the people, not the other way around. Now, where does this document, what is this document? Only one person knew on Thursday night. What is this? Oh, come on. It's the Declaration of Independence. You should have paid attention in your history classes, all right? This is the preamble of the Declaration of Independence, all right? Now, this is a loaded statement within itself that I just read. But what I want to pull on is this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. So what are they saying when they say it's self-evident? Self-evident is the idea that anybody that looks at this moving forward is going to be like, well, no, duh. Like, of course these things are true. 
Now, what I want to do is I want to take apart one of the statements, and here's what you have to understand if you were paying attention to that document. Their belief was that our rights came from a certain source. And what was that source? It wasn't the government. They believed that you had individual rights that came from God. That because you were created in the image of God, that you have certain unalienable rights. It isn't the government that gives you this right. It's this divine power, this divine thing that instilled America that it in since gave us those rights. The rights to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Which means in their minds that as a nation and as a people, we are all accountable to God. That these rights that we've been given have a direct divine connection. Now, John Adams was one of the more fascinating. We don't talk about John Adams. We talk about Thomas Jefferson. We talk about Benjamin Franklin. We talk about George Washington. Um, and now we talk about Alexander Hamilton, thanks to the amazing play that came out. But um, John Adams is actually one of the more fascinating to me of our early forefathers. Now, the reason I love John Adams uh, is, as far as we know, John Adams was completely against slavery. And in fact, as far as we know, he never owned a slave, which is important to me because I believe that is the great black eye of this country and maybe of all men. But John Adams never believed in slavery and never owned a slave. Now, when he's writing these documents, he, he makes this statement about the Constitution of the Bill of Rights. And this is important. Listen to what John Adams, who is one of the founders of this document, says. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Which means in his mind... If we don't have this moral and ethical backbone guiding our country, the Constitution, including the rights that we've been given, will not stand. His belief was if there's no moral conscience and the sense of divine accountability, this grand experiment of freedom will actually fail. He understood that if you give people rights, but don't couple those rights with responsibility, it always ends disastrously. Because eventually we get to a point where we say, well, here's my right, and here's your right, and now all of a sudden they're competing. So when your rights and my rights compete, here's the question, well, who's right? And so what our government has to do is they have to create all of these laws. And they have to create laws, and it's continuing effect. They have to keep creating laws, because in the law it has to address every single possible eventuality. That everything has to be decided by the law because when rights compete with each other, the law has to come in and deal with those eventualities. And so there's all kinds of laws out there and the government continues to instill these laws. And I know we have all kinds of feelings about laws, but that's not what this is about. But, but the original idea was simply this, is that when these rights compete, what do we do? And because we live in a capitalistic free society, we have all these eventualities that are going to come up. For example, do you guys know about the FDA, right? You should, all right? Now, regardless of what you think about the FDA, and I know there's new documentaries, the original idea behind the FDA was simply this. The government believed that it could be a possible eventuality that ranchers and farmers and other companies might make decisions in order to put more money in their pockets that would actually affect the health of United States citizens. Can you believe that? 
right? Doesn't that sound absurd that people would do that, right? No, of course not. That's what people do, right? They're willing to cut corners in order to put more money in their pocket. That's the end goal of capitalism, just so you know. And, and so they put the FDA in a sense. And then if you know about this, there's entire branches of the government that all work on banking resolution or banking um, regulations, did you know that bankers can't be trusted? And if you're a banker, I'm sorry, but you can't. Because here's the thing. I don't know if you know this or not. People might be greedy, right? And so the government comes in and they, they take all of these things in which they take all of these eventualities into consideration. There's all kinds of different um, models of this in which they say, okay, we have to create all of these laws, all these institutions, all of these government agencies in order to make sure that people's rights are not being abused, and here's why they have to do that. Because what do you do when you're free? And here's what I do, and here's what you do. We're constantly looking for loopholes. We're constantly looking for workaround. Ways to cheat to get ahead. And without an obligation, a moral responsibility to the freedoms that we have, but also the freedoms of each other, we'll keep doing this pattern over and over and over again. And so we have to create laws. Now, some laws are dumb, aren't they? Like, for example, red lights just should turn off at 1 a.m., right? You ever been to that intersection and it's like 1 a.m. and you're like, look right and you look left and you sit there and for like three minutes, there's no other cars. And so what do you do? You kind of creep forward a little bit and then eventually you just run that sucker, don't you, right? <laughs> All right. Now, that works then because you're not impending on anybody else's rights to be able to drive in a safe environment. But what you can do at 1 a.m., you probably shouldn't be doing at 4 p.m., right? Because if you do the same thing at that light at 4 p.m., you're going to hurt somebody or you're going to hurt yourself, right? And so that's why there's all of these laws, even if they feel dumb to us, is because it can affect other people. Now, there's ultimately a problem with the law in and of itself, and you can study this um, if you don't believe me. The problem with the law in and of itself is the law represents, for the most part, the minimum requirement, doesn't it? How low can you go? How low can we go without getting in trouble? Okay? How fast can I drive without getting pulled over? Generally, it's 10 miles per hour, just so you know. Okay? And again, slow people, the left lane's not for you. All right. How fast can I drive without getting pulled over? How far can I go without getting in trouble? Where's the line? Where's the limit? And that's all the law is able to tell us is where's the limit? It doesn't inspire greatness. It doesn't inspire us to live to the best of our ability. It just tells us where the line is. And what happens when there's only law and there's no sense of accountability to each other or to the divine nature that we believe gave us these freedoms and rights to begin with, when there's no responsibility, how low can we go? How far can I go without being arrested? How far can I go without getting in trouble? How flexible are these standards? The law in of itself is powerless to inspire greatness. Our forefathers created what we have, not just for the sakes of our freedoms, but to inspire all to something greater, something that had not been seen before in human history. And yes, then 250 years later, here we are, where we have individual rights regulated by law, individual rights to do whatever you want, say whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want, run around with whoever you want, do whatever you want, but there's no sense of accountability to each other, to God, or to the freedoms that we've actually been given. So what are you going to do? 
Well, interestingly enough, a thread started long before our forefathers had these great ideas. About 2,000 years before this, this guy named Paul, and Paul is this apostle. Um, he writes all these letters to churches, and, and one of the things he's writing to is he's writing to these Gentile people. Now, these Gentile people, um, they lived in Rome, and so Rome, they don't have the freedoms that we have, although there were some Roman freedoms, especially if you're a Roman citizen. But essentially what comes up is they're now what they believe is free in Christ. And so they have these freedoms in Christ. And so there's all these confusing ideas of how they kind of work within the system that they live in, but now they're also free in Christ. And so they have all these questions about what they're supposed to do with these freedoms that they now have in Christ. And so he's writing to these Gentiles who have some confusion about what they do now that they have this new understanding of who they are in Christ. And, and so what do we do with these freedoms? What do we do with these now rights that we believe are given to us by God? And so um, how do they become better people? people? How do they live out these truths that they now find themselves to live with them? And so in Galatians, Paul writes this letter that we've been kind of working through through the Pilled series, um, but it starts off and it says this. It said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, which is kind of like an oxymoron, right? Like it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And so essentially what Paul is trying to tell them is you've been set free for a reason. You've been set free to live your life free, to not become a slave again. And, and so what does he mean when he says this? What is this idea? And the idea is you've been made free to live your life, to have freedom in Christ. But the temptation is when we're free, is to ask the question, how low can we go? It's the same problem we face here today. See, you've been set free. But some of us, if we're honest, even though we've been set free, we've made choices that continue to let us be chained. Essentially what Paul's saying is that, and, and this is where some of you are, you, you walk into a place like this, and you come in with all of your bitterness and all of your pain and all your fears, and all of your doubts, and all of your wounds, and all of your bad relationships, and all of your bad choices. And just so you know, um, every bad choice you've ever made, you were a part of, okay? And, and so all of these things that we walk in here with, and that's okay, because here's the thing. Um, God accepts you as you are, and so do we. But for some of us, we've been set free, but we keep dragging all this stuff around, and so what Paul's saying is, no, that's not what you were set free for. You weren't set free to keep dragging all of this stuff around. You weren't set free to keep having to deal with all of these things. You were set free for a reason. And, and here's the thing. We know this as a country, but also within our faith. Um, there is nothing in the world worth giving your freedom up for. There's no wealth, no power, no fame. There's no pleasure on the planet that's worth giving up your freedom. And so he goes on and he says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And so essentially what he's saying is our natural tendency is to abuse freedoms, right? We know this within our country, 
right? Rights without responsibility always lead to something bad. And so he's saying, don't just use this freedom to indulge your flesh. Don't just ask the question, what can I get by with? Don't ask the question, how low can I go? Don't ask the question, where's the line? Don't ask the question, is there a law against it? No, he says, you've been set free in order to go to something greater. And this was the original idea behind our country, by the way, is that we have been given these freedoms and these rights to to do this grand experiment that was America to inspire not only us as citizens, but hopefully to inspire the world. And so he says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You have a right, but you also have an opportunity to do something different than what everybody else would do. You have the opportunity to use your freedom to serve one another. You have the opportunity to actually realize that this freedom that you've been given is not just for you, but to also offer hope to the people around you, to do something greater. And then he goes on and he says this, and I love this. He goes on in verse 14. For the entire law. Now, what did we say about laws just a minute ago? All laws do is show us the minimum requirement. And it's true not only when we think about the laws of our land, but also the laws that we see in the Old Testament. Because the same idea is true. When my rights compete with your rights, who wins? And so the law addresses this. But the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine a people of faith that actually live like this. Imagine a country of citizens that actually live like this. We wouldn't have to even worry about the law, would we? If every choice that we were making in the back of our minds was the consideration of how this might affect somebody else, how this might hurt somebody else, how this might impede in somebody else's rights or somebody else's freedoms, we would never even have to deal with all of this. Everything else would just be verbiage, right? If we woke up in the morning and you can say, I can say whatever I want, I can do whatever I want, I can assemble wherever I want, I can use my money however I want, I'm so free. But we use that freedom to leverage it not only for ourselves, but also for the sake of others. What would happen? When a nation and a people look up and ask the question, and here's the question they ask, how good of a neighbor can I actually be? How good of a citizen can I actually be? How much good can I do? And just so you know, there's our fruit for the day, goodness. How good can we actually be? All of the other details become fine print and are irrelevant. So the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, he looks into the future. And I don't think he had had any idea something like America would ever exist. But I think he looks into the future and he says, okay, you, you have the freedom to do whatever you want and to live your life however you want. And you should live it with this idea of doing good for yourself, but also for your neighbor. But, but if you don't, and if it all becomes just about what works for you, and your rights without a sense of accountability or responsibility, he gives us a warning. And here's what he says in verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, and could there not be a better description of where we are today? And if you don't believe me, just turn on whatever news channel you prefer, 
or get on the Twitter or get on the social media. We are biting and devouring each other because we no longer have concern about others' rights. There's no longer this current of responsibility or divine accountability for the freedoms that we have. And so we hurt each other. We hurt each other through our words and through our actions. And he says, if you do this, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. He says, look, if you decide, this whole thing devolves into what just works for you. And it's every man for himself and every woman for themselves and every family for themselves and every community for themselves. You will be biting and devouring one another and in the end you will be destroyed. As long as it's my individual bill of rights and it's not our bill of rights. As long as it's my freedom and it's not our freedom. We'll crush each other at the end of the day. And if there's no moral compass, and there's no guideline of responsibility, it will become our undoing. John Adams, right before he died, he wrote some letters. Um, fascinating thing, just if you want to have some Fourth of July trivia. Um, did you know that John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died on the exact same day? They died on July 4th, 1826, which was the 50th year jubilee of these documents that they created which is fascinating. In fact, John Adams' last words, because he did not know that Thomas Jefferson had passed that morning, he said, as long as Jefferson lives, unknowing that his close friend had died just a few hours before. John Adams, who cared so much about our country, he writes some things and he shares some thoughts. And here's one of the ones that's fascinating to me. He says this, he says, posterity. Now, posterity is a word we don't use, but all it means is future generations, all right? Posterity you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. His belief was that if we did not do the good that we could do, that this would fail. And what does he believe that we're supposed to do? Well, right before he died, not too long before, here's what John Adams said. He says, this is what America is supposed to be. Ready? He says, to be good and to do good is all that we have to do. So the question is for us as Americans, but also as Christians, what are we going to do with our freedom? My hope is that we'll make good use of what we've been given. We are free. And so let us use those freedoms and use those rights to do something the world has never seen before, to do good and to be good, and to make our lives and the lives of those around us better. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you, God. I thank you for the freedoms that we have. I thank you for the men that um, on this side of heaven we'll never meet, uh, but the men who, who guided this country to begin with. And and believed in a vision of what we could become if we worked together and if we took these ideas seriously and if we understood the responsibility we have for each other, but also the responsibility, this divine accountability to you. And so God, my hope is that we will take those words seriously, but also the words that Paul gives us that come from your word, that we're supposed to be free 
And we don't have these freedoms just for ourselves. We have these freedoms to do good in the world, to love our neighbor, to treat those with respect, and to love the people around us. And so God, my hope is that as a country, but I don't have a voice for the whole country, but maybe for just those of us in this room, God, that we take that seriously. And we understand that with these rights and freedoms that we've been given, not only from our government um, originally, but more importantly, the belief that they came from you and the rights and freedoms that we have from Christ, God, that we take these things seriously and we become the best version of ourselves. That we do good in a world that seems so void of it. That we become the best versions of ourselves, the best citizens, the best neighbors, the best parents. And God, that we continue to inspire future generations to greatness. So God, we love you. We thank you for the grace, the mercy, the love that you give us. God, we thank you for the freedom that you give us. We pray all these things.